Praise God. All right, everybody, stand up. You don't have to stand up, Clifford, that's okay. But everybody else, you're welcome. What does the word say? Remember that song, What Does the Fox Say? We're all going to say, What does the word say? Ready? One, two, three. What does the word say? Okay. Jesus said, You must be born again. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. What does the word say? Ready? One, two, three. What does the word say? You may sit down. Praise God. What does the word say? <laughs> I am on the 5th of April. Today is March 24th, 2019. Just so happens on March 24th in the year 1603, Queen Elizabeth of England died. Queen Elizabeth I of England died. Next thing you know, King James VI of Scotland was crowned the King of England and Scotland and became King James I. On January 14th, the following year, in 1604, he convened the Hampton Court Conference. Among other things, he appointed 54 scholars in six different teams to translate the Bible into English. Two years and nine months later, the authorized King James Version was published. Since then, over six billion copies have been published of the Bible. The only thing that comes close is Chairman Mao's book, 800 million copies, as opposed to six billion. That's unbelievable difference. If you put them on a bookshelf, the King James would take the top bookshelf, and then Chairman Mao's book would be next. And the Quran would be next, about 800 million of each. Nowhere near 6 billion. There are today about 6,900 languages in the world. Unfortunately, over 4,000 of them still need the Bible in their own language. I was reading a, a story about a, a, a chief in Africa. He said the missionary would come every week and he'd do the service, and he'd bring his Bible, and then one day he brought a Bible in our language. And he said it was as though God had been visiting us and then leaving with the missionary. And when we got the Word of God in our own language, it was as though God arrived and took up residence with us. Praise God. We want to look at what does the Word say? Second Timothy, Paul's last letter. According to most Bible scholars, he writes these words. In verse 15, he tells Timothy, you've known the scriptures from your youth. That's what's so great about children's church. You can get the Bible, get the Word of God into the kids' minds when they're little. Hopefully, they will be remember it when they get older. And so he goes on and he writes to Timothy, he says, all scripture. And when he uses that word scripture, it's known in the Greek language that it was originally written. He's talking about the Old Testament mainly, but he's also talking about what was accepted at that time as inspired writing, which is what we have as our complete Bible today. And he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I guess I'll use the pointer. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we're going to pick apart this verse here today. First, we're going to look at inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration from God, of God or from God. So I was looking this up. 
This word is an only used here in the entire New Testament. It's the Greek word, theonoustos. Theo, if you know anything about Greek, means God. Noustos comes from a Greek word, pneuma, where we get pneumatic, which is like uh, air power. But the interesting thing is that according to Rick Renner, that the Jews considered this word pneuma, how many know that the Bible or the Old Testament was translated into Greek at one point in time? And we'll get to that in a bit. But the Jews considered this pneuma to be the powerful force of God that created the universe and everything in it and sustains the universe at the same time. So this is just not a, a, you know, a one-shot deal. But this is an ongoing power that they considered that God has and God exercises. Another interesting thing about the word pneuma is it also means fragrance. How many have ever smelled a nice fragrance? I took Kathy shopping one time for a perfume. And if you're not careful, they all smell the same. So they have a little container of coffee ground. So you smell one perfume, then you smell the coffee grounds to reset. Then you can smell the difference in the other perfume. And it's like, whoa, oh, somebody's pretty smart. <laughs> no, I didn't know my nose worked like that. But it does. Word of God is, in essence, a fragrance also. Other thing is that it literally means that God breathed the word, the inspired word, that those writers that wrote these words were inspired by God. Not that God dictated everything to them, but God inspired them. As a picture to understand what it, it is actually talking about, Rick Renner says, he says, think of a balloon. You know, it's lifeless and shapeless. But you breathe into a balloon. And it tie it up, and it sustains that shape. However, when you breathe your breath into that balloon, and how many know, have you ever been out in the, in the wintertime and you breathe out and you see all that steam? Well, that moisture is coming out of you. And guess what's in that moisture? Some of your DNA is in that moisture in your saliva that comes out or whatever that comes out with it. So when it says that the word of God is breathed by God, part of God is in there. In uh, other uh, information about the word of God, that there's about 40 writers, different writers, it just wasn't all written at once, over a span of about 1,600 years. So about every 40 years, we have something. In the uh, Foundations of Pentecology have at home, the Greek or the Jewish historian Josephus attests that the Old Testament, according to what we have today, is what the Jewish people for centuries had accepted as the Word of God. Around the year 200 BC, between the year 200 BC and 180 BC, because Alexander the Great had conquered the known world of his day, there was a city, and it's still there today, in Egypt called Alexandria. In Alexandria was a great library that I read recently was burned down by uh, Muslim conquerors. Too bad, because there was a lot of stuff in there that was really, they probably had the plans on how to build the pyramids in there. Nobody knows how they built them, because the plans are gone. 
In any event, between the year 200 B.C. and 180 B.C., 70, Greek, uh, 70 Jewish scholars got together and they translated what they had as the Old Testament into Greek. If you read your Bible and you, every once in a while you'll see this LXX in your notes, that's the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was printed in Alexandria way back when. In addition to that, we have about 20 copies of the entire Bible in Latin, and that was about 150 A.D. 20 copies of it are still in existence today. In about the year 382, between 382 to 405 A.D., St. Jerome translated the Bible into what's known as the Vulgate, Latin. Anybody ever hear of the word vulgar? It, it has the connotation of being low and dirty. In Latin, the Vulgate means the common language. But God tells us, do not call anything common or unclean that I've made clean. And so, those are in existence too. Unfortunately, instead of translating the new uh, or the in translating the Bible into uh, known languages from the original languages, some people translated the, uh, from the Vulgate to their languages, and so that's a translation of a translation. But we have today more Old Testament and New Testament writings in existence. I don't know exactly how many, but one of the best translations is the ESV. I wrote it somewhere in my notes here, and now I can't find it. Because they use most of the oldest translations that are in existence. So it's a direct translation. However, we want to go on and see some other things. We want to look at profitability. How many would like to get make a profit? That's how the world works. We're in business to make profit. Not P-R-O-F-E-T, but P-R-O-F-I-T, a prophet. When, uh, <clears throat> I try to instill in the uh, carpenters that I work with that we're not just in business. We don't exist, and we don't build stuff just to make ourselves rich. We want to make the company some money so they can get more work, so we can keep working. So eventually when we retire, there'll be more people working and funding our retirement fund. Profitable. According to Finnis Dake, <clears throat> excuse me, it means to convince men of the truth. How many know Jesus said, The truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's what got me when I was studying to be a Catholic priest, and I read those words for the first time. I said, oh, I want to know the truth. And it took years before I find the truth. That was, I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. Plain and simple. It's to convince men of the truth. That's what profitability is. So, it says here in Hebrews chapter 4, I should have uh, chapter 2. There it is. That was supposed to be first. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. This is specifically talking 
about the Israelites coming out of the land of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they're, they're set to go into the promised land, and only two of the leaders of the spies believed the word of God. The other 12, or the other 10, it didn't profit them because they didn't believe. They didn't have faith that God was able to help them, and God was going to do something in their lives. So it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. How many know you can read the Bible as a book and not believe? I've talked to people a lot, and one guy says, Ah, the Bible was written to keep society, keep the general population in subjection to the real rulers of the world. What? Oh, and it's full of contradictions. Really? Name one. Well, uh, um, he couldn't name one. It's been translated, you know, so many times that you really can't understand it. Well, that's not true. There's approximately 60 English translations that are accurate enough we can get an understanding of what it really means. Mark Twain is uh, quoted as saying, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the things that I do understand that bother me. <laughs> it's because the Word of God confronts us sometimes, and, and you know, we're, we're living one way, and God says, you know, we're really not supposed to do that. And God doesn't say that so we don't have any fun. God wants to protect us, just like we want to protect our kids. Praise God. This word profitable, it comes from the Greek word ophilamos. We get the word of the name Ophelia from this Greek word, and it means to be helpful, according to Strong's uh, complete concordance, advantageous. And it comes from another word, ophelos, which means to heap up or accumulate or gain. The word of God is profitable. Because the more you read it, the more you gain an understanding of God. In John chapter 10, I believe it is, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that you know the Father and the Son whom the Father has sent. It literally means you have a relationship with, that you know him personally. How many know that God is uh, more than we'll ever know in this life? He's more than we'll ever know in this life. Excuse me. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, Those who would acquaint themselves with the things of God must know the Holy Scriptures. Way to get God to know God more and more is to read the Word. How many like to eat? I like to eat. You really can't tell, but I like to eat. How many eat three meals a day? How many eat at least two meals a day? The word of God is like bread. Man does not live. Remember, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And the devil comes and tells him, you know what? <clears throat> Man, that rock looks like a loaf of bread. You're hungry, Jesus. Jesus replies with the scriptures. He says, yeah, you're right. But man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. It's nourishment for your soul. It's nutrition. Hallelujah. You can exercise and you can uh, eat Big Macs and it probably won't help you because 90% or so, according to a chart I have at home, of fitness, some of it, a large portion of it is based on what you eat. 
Praise God. Those who would acquaint themselves with the things of God must know the whole scriptures. Listen to what it says in Job about yourself with God. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Ah, Job chapter 22, verse 21. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby, good will come to you. He goes on says, you will make your prayer to him in verse 27. He will hear you. You will pay your vow. You will also declare things, and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your way. Isn't that awesome? You acquaint yourself with God when you pray and you speak. In the Bible, it says where the word of a king is. In the book of Proverbs, I believe, there's power. So speak the word of God. <clears throat> I like that saying. Don't tell God about your problems. Tell your problems about your God. Who is God? He created everything. Who is Jesus? He's God come in the flesh. Don't tell your God about your problems. Oh, who is me? Why, why, why? Tell your problems about God. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. God is rich. Be patient. Wait on God. God is on the move. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, which we just made mention of. The Holy Scriptures, it says, to make eyes for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. When you learn about salvation, what the price that Jesus paid, amen, what he's done for us, who he is and what he's done for us, you re- and, you, and you get an understanding of salvation, you get it through the Scripture, reading the Word of God. As I mentioned or asked everybody earlier, do uh, you like to eat? And we all, most of us say yes. Well, I can always tell when I haven't been reading my word very much lately. Miss a day or two, and then next thing you know, it's a week. And why am I having so many problems? Why is my brain not working the way it's supposed to? Why can't I think right thoughts? Because I have been starving my spirit. Because I haven't been reading the word of God. Praise God. It is profitable for doctrine, which is teaching, according to Vine's uh, dictionary, profitable for reproof, which Strong's Concordance says is evidence. And uh, according to Funk and Wagnall's Collegiate Dictionary, reproof denotes disapproval and blame directed at a person to chasten them. However, reproof may be mild and friendly. How many were like to have God just come, bam, dude, messed up. I don't, I don't want God to smack. And I used to think that's what God was waiting for. Just waiting, I was going to mess up. Bam, I got him. No, God sent his son so that he can gently and friendly manner, mildly say, Jesus is meek and mild, even though he did make a whip of cords and chase everybody out of the temple and turn over the changer, money changers' tables. But he is, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. The reproof may be mild and friendly. You're reading the word of God and you see in there, oh man, before I got saved, I got a Bible and I started reading. I got the Galatians chapter 5. The works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. And I was reading the works of the flesh. And what does that word mean? And then I read more and more. Oh, my God, I'm doing all of these almost. 
And the Bible says, you're doing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Woe is me until I got saved. And God changed my life. And we'll get to that in a little bit. It's also profitable for correction. And it literally means a restoration to an upright state. Someone that's fallen down and lifted back up. In the book of Proverbs, it says a righteous man may fall seven times, gets back. Praise God. And so for correction, it means to get back up. And it refers to an improvement of life and character. The Word of God shows us what we're supposed to be like. Hallelujah. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it talks about what God has already done in us. And then in verse 13, he says, I think it's right to stir you up by reminding you. That's why you need to, we need to read the Word of God on a regular basis to help remind us. It's a great thing if you can remember memory verses. They're really, really helpful. <clears throat> the Bible originally was not written, of course, with numbers and chapters and verses. That was uh, St. Jerome's idea. And that was a great idea. I think he was inspired by God. <clears throat> because you got John 3.16, everybody knows. You have Second Peter 3.16, Malachi 3.16, where it says that those that spoke together among themselves about the things of God, God takes notice. And there's a book of remembrance written in heaven. God writes it down. Hey, they were talking about me. Cool. Hey, what did they say? Book of remembrance, 3.16. Let's look at, quickly, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I mean, <clears throat> help to turn the page. There we go. 2 Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Glory to God. The grace of God that's displayed in the salvation that Jesus paid for, for the redemption, that's the grace of God. And within the forgiveness of sins, that gives us peace with God. May it be multiplied. Hallelujah. Glory to God. May it be more and more of it. God has already given us everything as his divine power. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You want to know God? It's grace and peace is multiplied to you as you know more and more about him. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, to knowing him, his glory, his virtue. He went to the cross for us, and that gives us a right to receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. In addition, it goes on to say that his glory and virtue, him going to the cross and being raised from the dead, by that fact, it has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Not just any old promise, but exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these promises, you and I become partakers of the divine nature. We're changed. We're not the same people we were before we got saved. I was an alcoholic. I was a bad alcoholic. There were several times I didn't even know how I got home. 
Somebody called me up the next morning. Hey, you were really wild last night. I don't remember a thing. Hey, I found your wallet outside the bar last night. I don't remember a thing. Praise God. But Jesus, when he saved me, he set me free from that. Hallelujah. We have escaped the corruption or the depravity that's in the world through evil desires, excessive desires, desires that want to be satisfied that, that God says, hold on, I got better things for you. Can you say amen? Goes on to say that it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Psalm 119. I looked up oh, a bunch of scriptures last night about the word. Psalm 119 has a whole bunch of them about instruction in righteousness. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Verse 11. Your word. I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 42, So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. If you're going along in life, and you've been reading your word, maybe you, you, you're, something happens, and this word reproach, is that literally means to insult you. Somebody says something, they mock you, like my brother Stephen. Hey! That's been, Hey, Joe, say hi to Jesus for me. And I had an answer for him. <laughs> Must have been from God. And I told him, you can talk to him anytime yourself, but you want. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I know. He tried to mock me. And, but he wasn't mocking me. He's mocking God. Praise God. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Keeping God's word will keep you sometimes from getting afflicted. Psalm 101, or 119, verse 101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. There's an old uh, uh, fellow who's passed away. His name was Reverend Gary Davis. He was blind. Uh, he, uh, when he was younger, he was a jazz musician, but he got saved. And he said, I don't sing those songs no more. And he got discovered in the Newport Jazz Festival back in the 1960s, and he became famous. Uh, and somebody wrote a review of one of his concerts. He says, it's like going to church. It should be <laughs> because he's a reverend. And he would sing about, and he, the one song, there's a great change since I'm reborn. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. Oswald Chambers and his, uh, uh, his wife, by the way, was a court stenographer. And though Oswald Chambers only wrote one book, his wife took down every word he spoke. And published them years later. And one of the books is named Highest Ground. Uh, during World War I, he went to Egypt to minister to the uh, uh, Australian and English uh, troops that were stationed there through the YMCA. I don't know what the YMCA stands for. The Young Men's Christian Association. Not what it is today. What it used to be was about Jesus. And he says these words, the instant the Spirit of God touches your spirit, it is manifested in the body. It shows itself instantly. When you get saved, God changes you instantly. Things that you used to desire, things you used to do, you don't do. God changes us, praise God. 
verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet or a flashlight to my path. Profitable for instruction. But wait, there's more. Verse 130 is the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. One of the uh, apprentice carpenters told me, said, yeah, I had to call California where the headquarters is to ask some questions about our benefits. And, and, uh, and I, I told him, dumb it down for me. I said, no, 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 no. Simplify it. Make it simple. Not dumb it down. You're not dumb. You're smart. That lady's smart. The word of God gives understanding to the simple. I like simple things. I like cut and dry. That's it. Okay, we're done. Let's go to the next thing. That's how I like to do things. I don't like complicated things like the project I'm working on right now. It's complicated. Too many variables. Yeah, the air conditioner is over here, but they need it over there, and the property manager doesn't want to move it, and this wall, oh my goodness, and this floor, and oh, I like it simple. <laughs> easy. God. But if it was easy, we'd have somebody else do it. The entrance of your word gives understanding to the simple. Verse 133, speaking to God, direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Verse 148, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Anybody ever have a hard time falling asleep? Get your Bible and start reading it. You'll fall asleep pretty quickly. Unless, of course, God really has got a hold of you. You may find up staying up late. Read. Verse 162 says, I rejoice at your words as one or at your as one who finds great treasure. Anybody like an ornament? I do. Oh, this stuff. I like to watch the Antiques Roadshow, and these people bring out this stuff, look like junk. Oh, my God, it's worth a million and a half dollars, and why couldn't we save something like It's a treasure. This one guy had an Indian blanket. Oh, this is a national treasure, the guy told him, the appraiser. This thing worth about a million and a half dollars, and, and he donated it to a museum. It's a national treasure? It's just an old wool blanket. Ah, but who made it, and where did it come from? The word of God is even more valuable than that. And just amen. Verse 169 says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And finally, verse 172 says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Instruction in righteousness comes from the word of God. And let's go on. Hey, look at that. That's the one I was looking for earlier. His divine power has given us all things. Grace and peace be mine to you. The gospel was preached to us and did not profit them. Here we go. The word of God is living and powerful or active as one. Translation says, sharper than any two-edged sword. How many have ever seen a two-edged sword? Maybe in a museum. That's what the Roman soldiers had. A two-edged sword, because you can hit both ways, it'll cut. And it's a pretty nasty weapon. And I can't imagine having to fight like that with the two-edged sword hacking away at each other. Oh, Must be on an awful hand-to-hand combat back then. But this is, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than a razor, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents or the attitudes of the heart. And anybody, you want to know what God thinks of us? Read the Word of God. Want to know what God thinks of sin? Read the Word of God. Don't even know what sin is? <laughs> go, go read the book of Leviticus, all the laws about clean and unclean. If you do this, you're unclean for so many days. If you do this, you're unclean. You've got to do this and this and this. But thank God, Jesus paid the price. So we don't have to do all this, this, and this. Just trust that what he did is more than enough to make us good enough to have relationship with God. Hallelujah. Let's go on. And we want to go to verse 15. Is there somewhere? Ah, here's a good one. A good memory verse. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. I like how Jesus, uh, <clears throat> he gets asked a question. The disciples come to Jesus privately. Lord, increase our faith. But Jesus says, okay, here's how you do it. And they, he doesn't really explain how you increase your faith. He just says, ha, huh, faith the size of a mushroom. You could say to this mountain, this problem, be removed. Cast into the sea and it'll obey you. And they, I can just picture the disciples looking at him like, what? How does that increase our faith? Having faith like a mustard seed and telling the mountain to move. Or the tree to be uprooted by yourself and Go into the ocean. How does that increase our faith? I don't understand it. Jesus, could you explain a little better? And he goes, he doesn't say anything else, really. <laughs> he says, have faith as the size of a mustard seed. And you'll say to these things, and these things will happen. Remember what it said in Job. Acquaint yourself with God. You declare a thing, and it will come to pass. Believe what you say is in line with the word of God. You have faith. By trusting that the word of God is accurate and, 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 and God says what he means and means what he says, and you can speak the word of God over your problem. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, trusting and obeying. Last but not least, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. The word of God is inspired. That the man of God or the woman of God, when you say amen, may be complete. So let's look with this word complete. This is only found in this verse in the entire Old Testament. To be complete. And it is the word artios, which means to be fitted or complete, or perfect. You can say, from reading the word of God, I'm now perfect. You could say that to yourself. I'm perfect, because God's word says I'm perfect. However, don't get an arrogant attitude, and don't get too bossy. Praise God. It means to be exactly fitted. In carpentry, we have what's called finger joints. We make, uh, uh, they make uh, what they call glued and laminated timbers. You can make great designs out of them. The wood that's glued and it's joined together perfectly. 
And those glued and laminated timbers are stronger than steel. In a fire, a steel beam will melt. But those glued and laminated timbers will stand for the most part. We can, I mean, if you go to Home Depot or Walmart, maybe Home Depot or Lowe's, look up at that roof and that ceiling, you'll see these beams about this tall, about that wide. And there's other beams attached to it. Those are glued and laminated because they're fitted together and they're strong. And this is what the Word of God is telling us, that when we will study the Word of God and read it, that we will become strong. And you say amen. Perfectly fitted together. Hallelujah. Equipped for every good work. How many know that that's what God wants us to do? That we're not saved by our works, but we're saved so we can do good work like supporting Pastor Jack Harris in Kurdistan of Iraq and all that's going on over there. It's just not situated in Kurdistan of Iraq. They're reaching out. They've got a, a reaches, outreaches into Egypt. Egypt is the most populated country in the Middle East. Egypt is a hinge pin, so to speak. It's a very important country, although it doesn't seem like it. God, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 19, that God loves Egypt even though there are people there that hate Jesus. God loves them. Praise God. I've seen a picture of the world's largest crane. How many know what a hinge pin is? The bottom of a crane where the boom goes up and down, there's a pin. That crane is in the North Sea on an oil rig platform. The hinge pin is nine inches in diameter. That crane can pick up 600,000 pounds. And the reason they have it there the hook on that crane is this tall. It's a three-pronged hook made by the Crosby Company. The cable is two inches around. It goes around 23 times in, in, the, in the pulleys. That reason they have it is because the seas are so rough in the North Sea that they, they have to pick the barges up out of the water and hang them hang in the air in order to fill them with oil. When that crane was built, Lloyds of London rang the bell because it was such an important item. This thing is equipped for the work that it's supposed to do. Perfect. The King James Version says, and it's a good work. They need the oil. They need the work for the people. They need to do it safely. The King James, it says that the person or the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. The New American Standard says that the, per, the person of God may be adequate and equipped. The New Revised Standard Version translates it, says that the person of God may be proficient and equipped or perfect and furnished. When you read the Word of God, you and I read the Word of God, get it inside of us. It'll, I can distinctly remember, we used to go out street preaching a lot. We're downtown and... and uh, I made it a habit back then, and I need to do it again. I would read four chapters a night before I went to sleep. And we'd be out there, and, you know, we'd uh, it's always, <coughs> downtown Tucson's a strange place. <laughs> There's strange people down there. We'd have a lot of opposition. But somehow, and one of the, and I didn't even notice it, but one of the other brothers that we were with said, you always seem to have an answer because God would give me a scripture that was appropriate to what the person was talking about. Well, I didn't even notice. But this other person noticed and told me. And praise God, 
So I want to challenge every one of us today. Let's read our Word of God more regularly. You read four chapters a day, you can read the whole Bible in a year. If your chapters that's got the list of names that are hard to pronounce. You read ten chapters a day, you can read, and that's a lot, you can read the whole Bible three times or so in a year. I think four chapters a day is pretty much <laughs> my limit. But I want to encourage everyone this morning. Let's read the Word of God more regularly because it's like food for your soul. And it's, the Word of God is a sword, the sword of the Spirit. It will help you in our battle against the enemy. We don't fight people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spirits. Praise God. But we have the victory.